Amen. Let's be seated. That sounds like such a simple thing, doesn't it? Just a smile. Uh, I wonder how many of you have experienced that, that you felt that sometimes you just give someone a smile and it had an impact on them. You know, that's really our conviction, is that Jesus calls us to trust him with the work that only he can do in our lives. Uh, and it's, it's incremental and it's progressive over time. And that's what we're trying to do this summer. What did we talk about last week, by the way? Anyone? Participation. And uh, thank you for participating the following week, coming today. Because really this is a cumulative thing. We're picking topics. Next week we're talking about uh, a new perspective on film and television and the arts in general. How should we see that as, as followers of Jesus? And so this morning we're looking at poverty and homelessness. Um, and a number of months ago, I was at uh, Chris Neal, who's part of our church, a former youth pastor here actually, is part of a, a network uh, called Flourish. And um, I was at one of the meetings and I happened to be, end up sitting beside uh, this lady by the name of uh, Shirley Rayburn. And we had a great conversation. She's an immigrant. I'm also an immigrant. She's from Canada and I'm from Scotland. And so we just had a conversation about culture and about faith and things and then discovered that she uh, is a volunteer coordinator at Union Rescue Mission. Um, and so I, the staff and I, we all went to visit uh, and Shirley uh, led us through just a conversation about, about these issues and, and what their work is all about. And it just felt like a very uh, God moment. The Holy Spirit was talking about this, this connection and how important it is for us to step out of our comfort zone because if I'm honest with myself, that's where I like to stay. You know, I like to stay where I feel comfortable, where I feel like I'm actually able to manage the challenges that come my way. I feel I'm in control, etc. But really, if you understand what Jesus is about, he's calling us out of our comfort zone. He's saying, come a bit further and trust me that I will give you what you need to grow. And then you will find yourself experiencing, some people say, I just don't feel excited about my faith anymore. And I think that's often a sign that we have stopped. We've stopped risking discomfort or challenges. They come our way anyway, right? <laughs> but sometimes that's the only way they come. We're like shrinking back until trouble comes. We're like, okay, I'm going to trust you now, God, because I've got to, right? But how much better to say, here I am, and step into these. That's all part of participation, stepping into uh, these challenges and places. And that's what the church is for. We are called as leaders to equip God's people for the work of ministry, which means that we intentionally try to put before us ideas, understandings, challenges, and then actual uh, action to do that. So we talked about uh, various things we could do this summer, and one was about poverty and homelessness, because it is growing. In case you have not noticed, homelessness is on the rise, not just in our area, but all over the United States. And I remembered Shirley, and so I asked if she would come and share this morning from her own personal experiences and the work that she does there. And then we're going to go join her next uh, Friday and Saturday. So I'd like you to welcome Shirley Rayburn this morning to challenge us. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you everyone. Uh, it's good to be here with you, and uh, it's really good to worship with you. Um, you know, you don't feel like a stranger right? When you come together and you worship. And I didn't know a lot of those songs, but uh, what was familiar was a sense of the spirit of the living God being present in this place. And that unites us, right? So I'm not a stranger here, am I? No. So thank you. And I also just wanted to seriously commend your worship leader in choosing songs 
that as I prepared for today, my brain was like a buzz because I'm like, oh, but you have to say this first. You have to say this first. And so now I didn't have to say it because the songs, which actually resonate so much more deeply than the words of my mouth, um, please carry those with you uh, as you hear the words. And then with whatever Jesus is inviting you to do, please carry it with you. And so today we're here to talk about a new perspective on homelessness but, and poverty. But I just want to say often it's hard to hear from somebody if you don't know who they are at all. And no, I know I'm not technically a stranger because we're brothers and sisters here. But um, just a few facts about who Shirley Love Rayburn is. Shirley Love, Love was my maiden name for 34 years how unkind of my parents to give me the name Shirley attached to love, middle school. Ooh, think about that for just a moment. But it formed me. <laughs> I am a daughter of Eve. A little Narnia reference for anybody, anybody like Narnia? Anyway. Uh, but more importantly, I'm a daughter of the king. And uh, he invites me to serve <laughs> and strengthened and empowered by him. I'm also a daughter of Burl Murphy. Yeah, she was a Scottish lass born in Inverness. And uh, she emigrated to Canada when she was 16 and never went back until she was 60. Nope, 75. And uh, Wally Love. Uh, Burl is living in a nursing facility in Calgary, Alberta, with a serious dementia. And uh, Wally is living in heaven. So I've journeyed through some griefs. I'm a sister of three elder brothers. That formed me. <laughs> they told me during my childhood that they were just preparing me for the rest of their life, and unfortunately, they were right. I mean, fortunately, they were right. They helped equip me for the life that God has chosen for me. Uh, I try not to tell them too often they were right. Uh, I am, you know, a niece, uh, an aunt, a friend, a pastor. I was all of those far before I came, became the following. Um, a wife of Matthew, the love of my life, uh, 18 years we've been married this summer. Yeah, right? <laughs> They've been an adventure. I want to write a book, Never a Dull Moment. That is because of the man I married. Uh, well, together we're both a little crazy. So, um, I am mother to Adia. I became her mother at 37 years of age. She was the gift of God given that I didn't think I would ever have. Her name means gift of God. Her middle name is Talitha, straight out of Mark chapter 6, when Jesus said to the little girl who had died, he said, Talitha, ko'um, my darling, my little daughter, rise up. So that rise up song got me right there. And I am also the mother to Destiny. Destiny, I became her mother when I was 50. Not through birth, but through the miracle of foster adoption. She joined our home three years ago. 
adopted two years ago. That is a little bit of who I am, just a little. Today, we're digging into a pretty heavy topic, poverty and homelessness. But it's sunny outside, and it's California. Can we just go play in the sand somewhere? <laughs> but today, we're being invited to dig into this. Uh, and I hope by the end, we will actually find the joy because the joy of the Lord is our strength. In my experience, when it comes to dialogues about poverty or homelessness or human trafficking or foster care or anything that's a little bit on the heavy side, uh, there's usually a few reactions that people have. Um, there are the people who don't feel like they know enough about the topic, uh, but they are open and curious and therefore deeply engaged, really ready to hear, really like longing to learn. Um, and they're thankful for a dialogue. That's one option. Uh, sometimes there are people who know what their opinions are about the issues, and the, but open to learning maybe a new perspective. Maybe there's something more about these issues uh, that they had not yet known about. And then, from my experience, um, people who know their opinions and are absolutely close to hearing a new perspective. And finally, people who don't know and don't want to know. And to be honest, friends, I have been at every one of those places. So I don't judge anyone for where they are today. Um, but what I pray is that as you hear my thoughts today and things that I've learned in my journey over the last few years, that uh, the Spirit of God will touch you where you are at. That is a work that I cannot do. Uh, but I, I trust the Spirit of our living God. So, let's jump in. Poverty and homelessness. I want you to think of a car wreck on the 210 freeway. Anybody ever been inhibited in your progress by a car wreck on the 210? How does that feel? Not fun. Um, and we know what really slows down the traffic a little bit is the space and the lanes that are taken up by the emergency vehicles, but what is also slowing everybody down is the looky-loos, right? want to slow down traffic, but we just can't help. And I think it's compassion that compels us to look a little bit, but a little bit curiosity. I think it's kind of the same with poverty and homelessness. You kind of want to look at it, but from a distance, and you're curious, you care, uh, but, you know, there's the professionals who are taking care of it, so let them, and I'll just keep on going. But I, I think we're invited to more. But that's Jesus' job, to make uh, that invitation to you. I'm going to start this with digging into words that James says about people who are experiencing poverty. 
I don't know if you've read James recently. It's not an easy book. So when I sensed that this is where I was being invited to, I'm like, oh, really? Are you sure? So let's read it. Uh, It'll be on the screen, and I'm going to read through the passage. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting, say this morning, wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes, sidebar, probably not smelling very nice, comes in as well. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here, here's a great seat for you. Take him to the front, but then no, nobody wants to stay in the front row, right? Second, third row, your honored place. But to the poor man, you say, you stand there. Why you're not disturbing people by your smell. You don't say that out loud, of course. Or why don't you sit right here by my feet? If you've done those, have you not discriminated against yourselves and among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? harsh word. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you've dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles on just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. The law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And that's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, (laughs) even for the hard words. So we're going to pause for a moment. I learned a tool during an anxious season in my job at Union Rescue Mission. I was being bombarded from all directions by various storms that were coming, trying to rob me of my joy, make me not feel at peace. And so I googled the search on how to calm down. (laughs) And what came up was a tool Navy SEALs use when they're afraid. 
So you breathe in to a count of four. You hold for a count of four. Then you breathe out for a count of four and hold for a count of four. And what's cool is the name Holy Spirit is a count of four. So shall we breathe together? Ready? And you breathe in. Hold, two, three, four. Breathe in, two, three, four. Two, three, four. Holy Spirit. Out, two, three, four. I felt the need to do that after a heavy word. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes it feels like I am condemned. But that's not what Jesus ever does. The Spirit of God convicts us. Only the enemy of your soul will condemn you. But conviction is inspiring. Hey, sister, hey, brother, if you're convicted by this word, it's all right. I'm with you. There's a bright future ahead. So I'm going to start with telling my story. Um, not my whole story. I'm 52. That would take a long time. So we're going to plop in at um, 30 years ago. Can't believe I just said that out loud. 30 years ago. It was 1999. And I'd been a pastor for a few years. Let's see. That would be six. And I was ready for retooling, ready to strengthen up my, sharpen my saw, if you're familiar with that. And so I was in a leadership development program, a few others on our uh, staff team uh, were in the same program as I. And how it would work was we'd get our assignments three months in advance and then uh, do the assignments and then we would show up at our cohort uh, for classes. And one of the classes was called Compassion. I thought, oh, nice. That's good. And I got the assignment. I opened up the envelope, snail mail. It was 1999. And it said, your assignment if you choose to accept it, but you have no choice if you want to graduate the program, is uh, clothe yourselves to appear like you are a person experiencing homelessness. Go to the inner city area in your city and panhandle for $10. If you are successful, you can go home. If you are unsuccessful, you must find shelter for the night. End of assignment. I received that and was furious. How dare they ask me? Oh, by the way, single. I was single at the time, 32. Not unattractive. Did they know what the Downtown east side of Vancouver, by the way, I was living in Vancouver, Canada. Did they know what happened down there? If you got the stomach for it, you can Google it sometime, what has happened to uh, specifically First Nations women in the downtown east side of Vancouver. Horrific. I, I was furious and terrified. I did not want to go. But then I remembered something. See, going back to the previous slide. Sorry, that's my fault. That was my life. Do you see that picture? I don't know if you can see it very clearly. Quite a nice apartment. That's not my apartment. 
but close enough. See, I'd been a children's pastor up there for about six years. Um, I'd finally found this really nice apartment. I had a great roommate. I was doing well, to be honest. I wasn't perfect. Life had its struggles. I was single. I would have liked to have met a man that I wanted to marry. Hadn't yet. Um, but life was good. But this course had invited me to get out of my comfort zone, like Grant was referring to. So uh, first time I took the course, uh, they had us do um, rappelling and whatnot to do, like, out of your comfort zone, will you be willing? So I took up the challenge and got out of my comfort zone and rappelled down the wall, and I had too much fun. So I'm like, that wasn't that hard. So instead, I rappelled Australian style. Does anybody know what that looks like? where you walk down the side of the mountain face down onto the ground. Yeah, that was too far. That took me into my red zone. But I, I sort of kind of got that vibe where I like adventure and I like to do, I like to go out of my comfort zone sometimes. More before I had kids. <laughs> and I'd remembered after I was angry about the assignment that I'd asked Jesus for that. Not directly, obviously, but I had wanted, always longed, after he had gripped my heart and changed my life, I'd always wanted to do what he asked me to do. And I'd read scripture about the poor. I'd read scripture about giving a cup of cold water. And I'd hear about people experiencing homelessness. That is something I had never heard at all about as I was growing up. And I'm like, well, what would you have me do, Jesus? And I'd pray so sincerely, I thought, until I got that assignment and realized I wasn't that sincere in my prayer. I only wanted to be shown what to do if it was easy. So I put on my big girl shoes and became an honest woman and said, thank you for answering my prayer, Jesus, but must be wise, wouldn't be wise to go down alone, being a single woman at 32 years of age. So because our lead pastor was part of the program, we decided he would go and then we would include another woman uh, who was part of the program and the three of us would go together, strength in numbers, so we went. I won't tell you the process of what I did to try to make my clothes look and smell like I had been experiencing homelessness. Um, it wasn't too gross, but like coffee grounds in a plastic bag with water and tie it up with my jeans and stuff. Um, so we went down. It was a Friday afternoon, and, and uh, we sat down on the concrete in um, June in Vancouver's rainy. So it was cold, a little chilly, but not raining, thank goodness, uh, at that moment. And we sat down, and we put our cup out and um, tried to ask for money. That felt really weird and uh, awkward and embarrassing. And I'm not good at it. I think I made $1.25. None of us made $10. So we didn't have our ticket home. So we wandered around for a little while and they were like, okay, so what do we do now? Okay, we're supposed to find a shelter. And we hadn't pre-researched because, you know, that wouldn't have been fair. Nobody had smartphones at the time. It was 1999. <laughs> So we decided, let's just ask the people in the community. So a little hesitantly, you know, what are we going to get? Are we going to get mm, 
punched in the nose, what, what's gonna happen? And so we walk by and there's people sitting on a step. Clearly, they were likely people experiencing homelessness. So we um, asked them, so hey, you know, we need a place first to get some food and then um, to maybe sleep tonight. Do you guys know of any place? They're like, well, this place is, and they're not such good food, and this place is okay, but, but uh, Union Gospel Mission, so that's in Vancouver, right? Not Union Rescue Mission, but Union Gospel Mission, they're just uh, down the road here, but you have to go soon or else you're gonna miss the line. So we went and stood in line, and it started to rain, so we're standing in the line, and I'm not gonna lie, it's really humiliating to stand in line waiting for food. And to be honest, what I'd forgotten to mention is... Um, it's also really humiliating to sit on a sidewalk and ask him for money. Everything in me wanted to jump up and say, this isn't who I am. Ladies and gentlemen, those of you rushing by me on your way home from a long work week and looking at me with disdain and looking at me with judgment and looking at me like I can't get my act together, looking at me assuming I'm a drug addict, looking at me assuming so many things. You're lazy. You can't get responsible, can't get on with life's program, can't be adulting. They didn't say that then, but you know. I wanted to jump up and say, this isn't me. I have a gorgeous apartment on the North Shore. I'm a pastor. I'm a nice person. Never taken a drug in my life. But I didn't. We went, student line, Union Gospel Mission. Went in. Sat through a sermon, because that's what you had to do. Oh, they had warned us about that. Oh, yeah, you have to sit through a sermon, but it'll be okay. I don't have a clue what the pastor preached that day. It was too stressful. I couldn't hear a word. So we sat down. I felt guilty because I was eating somebody's meal, but, you know, bad on the teacher for giving me the assignment. It's his fault. So we asked, do you have room for us? to sleep tonight? And the answer was, oh, yes, we have room for the gentlemen in your group, but we don't have room for women in our shelter. Oh, uh, that was the case, by the way, about 30 years ago. It was really uncommon because there weren't so many women experiencing homelessness as there had been for, you know, a century of men. So we asked, uh, who does? And they said, well, we think... Lighthouse Mission, the Salvation Army place, we think they do. But you have to go now and stand in line. Okay. Once again, go stand in line and wait to find out if we have shelter or if we'll have to find a cardboard to sleep on and under. So uh, we went and stood in line and they had room for us. Again, feeling guilty that we were taking somebody else's cot. Um, there was one room for the men Lead Pastor Brian went in there. One room for the women. Elizabeth, my friend, and I went in there. There were other women live, sleeping in that room. They keep the lights on for safety purposes. And um, there was a prostitute, was one of the women. And we heard stories that night that I will never forget. 
it was hard to sleep. But I think I got a little sleep. And I was awoken in the morning by a gentleman saying loudly, Brian, what are you doing here? Blue, do you work here? A guy from our church worked at the Lighthouse Mission. Bad on us, we didn't know. Didn't know that one of our people in our church was doing the front line in Salvation Army and sleeping, not sleeping overnight, making sure there was peace in that place. So Brian, without thinking, says, Shirley's in the next room. Blue's getting really confused and, you know, scandal. <laughs> no, 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 let me explain. And he explained quietly um, what we were doing and why we were there. And we were able to pray for Blue that day. At 6 a.m., old school practices in missions is... Uh, People get a strong coffee with a lot of milk and sugar and a Danish and then go. They have to leave by 6 a.m. That, that's the way it used to roll. Um, so we did. Now, we had done. Simon over. So cheating. We had tucked $20 into our socks. We walked to Starbucks. Got refreshed. Then walked to the sea bus. And guess who was at the sea bus waiting to go across the inlet to North Vancouver? the prostitute that we had shared the room with the night before. All night that I had been out doing this, I kept on looking at people going, oh, wow, this is somebody's child. What's it like for their parents? I wonder if their parent knows where they are. What's this like? Or, or maybe there was, you know, imagination going wild and making lots of assumptions. And then as I spoke with that woman, I realized she told us, oh yeah, I'm heading to the North Shore. That's where my kids are. Well, I forgot. <laughs> Some of these people are not just somebody's child, but somebody's mom, somebody's dad. What's that like? What's that like for those kids? My heart broke even more. That whole experience left me a transformed person. I was never the same again. Um, my transformation included the what of what I thought. What I had thought it would be like and what it was like, two very different things. When I thought I would have reason to fear, what I found was kindness amongst that community. Not everyone. Every community has its bullies. But what we experienced, we didn't experience any bullying. We only experienced kind, compassionate people who were looking out for each other. That's not what I expected. And my transformation has always been, also been into who I have become. I had always sensed a call to mission. That was my first invitation to serving Jesus, not to be a children's pastor. Uh, I thought I'd actually be, uh, by the time I was 32, I had thought I would already be living in Indonesia in a Nipahat. That's what I thought my calling was going to be. 
He had me land longer in uh, North Vancouver than I anticipated. And I had questioned that for years. Felt guilty because, you know, the most holy way would be to be overseas. Um, right after I had done this experience, see, I had met the man who was to become my husband about a year earlier. Thought he was really cute, but far too young for me. Um, and he was serving um, in a ministry where they were serving people experiencing homelessness. And I thought, wow, what a good guy. That's awesome. <laughs> so God's timing is good. He taught me through this experience and helped prepare me for the man who I ended up marrying. He has served in homeless ministries for over 20 years. So I became a person who was more open, less fearful of people who were different than me. I want to introduce you to Christina. And uh, Christina, this story is told with her permission. Christina's my friend, <laughs> and more than that, uh, she's my apprentice. I am a volunteer coordinator at Union Rescue Mission Hope Gardens campus, and uh, Christina is our fastest graduate ever through our program phase, and she's now in phase three. Uh, phase one is acclimatization to a new community. Phase two is your courses. Phase three is apprentice or part-time work, learning how to juggle the art of being a working mother, and then phase four, getting ready to launch. Christina, fastest graduate ever. She was chosen before graduation to be the apprentice for our department. And I just want to note, um, go to urm.org if you want to see more stories, because this is just one story, and this is, this is something I love to hit on. Um, see, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure you aren't too different from me. We all have assumptions about what people are like when we see them, right? We tend to judge a book by its cover. Sometimes it's accurate, but sometimes, you know what, even if you have a discerning spirit, sometimes we're wrong. So people looking at Christina have often now make assumptions of who she is because of how she looks now. But she did not look like this a year and a half ago. So what I enjoy to do one of the things I love to do most at my job is to help people admit that we have assumptions. So that's why I wear this crazy looking bright peace bag on my back. And I just want you to imagine that um, all of my assumptions I carry, I've put into this backpack. And that what I try to do in my work is as much as I am able with the help of the spirit of the living God is to remove my assumptions and leave them behind. Christina had had some tragedy in her life. Christina had, uh, was a horseback rider and uh, fell off a horse and broke her back uh, in her childhood. And then tra tragedy struck again when she was 17. Her father died, and the wound was so deep, she refused to walk when it was time to graduate just months later. 
One thing that's awesome about Christina, she doesn't blame her history for her choices, but she started to make some pretty bad life choices. But she was a functional addict. She was an alcoholic, but a functional one. They, they exist. So she was working for a credit union, making good money. She owned a home, owned a car. She had two 401ks. She made it through those tough teen years. She made it through those challenging college years. She made it through into launching into her career. And at the ripe old age of 28, not so old, but older than you'd think, she met a young man at a um, AA meeting. He was a heroin addict. They fell in love. He offered her a hit. She accepted, became instantly addicted. They blew through all of her savings, her retirement plan, sold her home, lost everything. Ended up homeless. She was living on the street, doing hits, sometimes in motels. Sometimes his parents would give them money. She got pregnant. She was homeless, experiencing homelessness her entire pregnancy. Gave birth. It's against the law to, uh, it's considered gross neglect if you're experiencing homelessness with your children. A lot of moms hide their children so that people don't see and accuse them. Her daughter was taken away at three days, given to a cousin. And Christina's heart was broken into a million pieces. We need to beware of assumptions. There are as many reasons why people are experiencing homelessness as there are people who are doing it. We have 72 moms living at Hope Gardens. And everyone is there for a different reason. The only way to address the why is to engage with the human being you're speaking with, you're interacting with. So addiction had left Christina feeling powerless, hopeless, feeling like there was nothing she could do to change. But there was something, and I call that the spirit of the living God that was bubbling up in her. She had given birth to a daughter. She loved her daughter. She wanted to be in her daughter's life. So, enabled by the spirit of the living God, one day, Christina, three months after her baby had been born, boyfriend offers her a hit, and she says, no more. She says, I want my life back. She went to a recovery program, was there for three months. They connected her to Hope Gardens. She had to sleep downtown LA at URM in Skid Row for a while. That was terrifying because the temptation was right at the door. But again, enabled by someone bigger than her, 
She was resisting, and she so longed to be with her daughter. She came to Hope Gardens, did phase one in one day. It usually lasts three months. She did her courses straight through. And on March 9th, she graduated, having been selected before graduation to be the apprentice in our department. I met her face to face the day after her court date to find out if she could have Araya back. She had been clean one year. It was her mother's birthday, March 27th. She went to courts and Araya was returned to her custody. I hope some of you can come to Hope Garden someday and meet them. They literally radiate joy and light and fun and bliss. And I adopted through the foster system and so had studied attachment. And to be honest, there is no trace evidence left that there was a broken attachment between this mother and daughter. And I believe that that is only accomplished by the spirit of the living God. It is a miracle to behold. So I told you her story and I told you my story to, to just increase the sense of <sighs> we're all in this together. There's really way less that separates us than what we believe or what we'd like to believe sometimes. Sometimes it's easier to think that it's us and them, right? Because because then maybe we don't have to deal with it. But if you start to recognize that this is actually way more just about us. And to be honest, I think some of us are afraid of it because, you know, we know we're only a couple paychecks away. It's, a, it's expensive here. It's hard to live here. And if you haven't experienced that hardship, recognize that maybe it's because you've had some benefits that others have not had. So what can I do? Surely, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> now I'm responsible because you've told me stuff. I want to take you back to Genesis chapter one, verse 27. It says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female he created them. The first thing you can do is you can offer the gift of dignity, the gift of recognizing that no matter what's going on in that person's world, no matter what their story is, that they are made in the image of God. That's the first truth about them. Yes, they've been affected by the fall of man. Yes, they were affected by the original sin. But God sees them for who he intended them to be. Can we begin to remove our judgment and look at people as created in God's image? Is that how we can interact with each other? Because by the way, the woman named Shirley who was sitting on the street begging for money or the woman named Shirley who was the children's pastor in North Vancouver, British Columbia at a upper middle class church, which one was created in the image of God? No matter what my story, I did not deserve more dignity, more favor, 
because this was who I was. It's hard to live like we think that, but that's true. And I have on the slide there that there is an art of not showing favoritism. I don't think it's a science, I think it's an art. And I think of the song that we sung this morning, even in just a smile, that they would see the Father's love. You know, woo, didn't expect to cry. So, um, you know, if somebody had looked at me and smiled and engaged me as a human being that day when I was sitting on the sidewalk, that would have been awesome. And I say it's an art because you can't always handle every situation the same. Because there are people who are struggling with mental illness where they had, whether they were mentally ill first and then became homeless or were homeless and became mentally ill during, due to the trauma is a whole other discussion. So there isn't the same response all the time. I can't give you a, and this is what you do. The next time you see a person experiencing homelessness, check one, check two. Check three. No, it doesn't work that way. It's an art form, and it takes listening to the one who will equip you to do it. So the application is this, my friends. The opportunity awaits. Much like my invitation I got in the mail that I hated. <laughs> I hope you won't hate this invitation because it's not quite as scary as the one I got, I don't think, anyway. We have opportunities that we have designed uh, so that you can meet it just beyond your comfort zone. Uh, we have a warehouse in South LA, and you can go there and help sort donations and things. We have a lot of stuff that comes. We have a thrift store in West Covina. We have our downtown LA campus that it goes right through, is in the heart of Skid Row. And then we have our Hope Gardens Family Center. So I encourage you to consider the invitation. And I just want to say it's simple. You just come and interact. It's not easy because it's crossing various socioeconomic barriers. It's crossing several cultural barriers. So it's simple. Like Jesus summed up the greatest commandment, love God and love people. That's simple, but I don't know about you, but it's not always been easy to obey. We just invite you to follow the steps. Go where your church staff team bravely went before. They've invited you not to something that's going to harm you, but that will give you a new perspective. I can't guarantee your safety. <laughs> but nobody can. I can't guarantee your heart won't be broken. But I can guarantee you're walking alongside the creator of the universe who's on your side and when God is for us, who could be against us? I'd like to invite the worship team back up and in closing, I'm just gonna say this. <laughs> J. 
James is tough. I invite you to reread through that chapter I read because I didn't really exegete it today. But the Spirit of God wants to say something to this community. <laughs> 